Chapter Twenty One of Is He Pope and Joy? This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Barry O'Neill. Is He Pope and Joy? by Anthony Trollope. Chapter Twenty One. The Marquis comes home. Some little time after the middle of April, when the hunting was all over and Mr. Price had sunk down into his summer insignificance, there came half a dozen telegrams to Manor Cross, from Italy, from Mr. Knox, and from a certain managing tradesman in London, to say that the Marquis was coming a fortnight sooner than he had expected. Everything was at sixes and sevens, everything was in a ferment, everybody about Manor Cross seemed to think that the world was coming to an end but none of these telegrams were addressed to any of the germain family and the last people in the county who heard of this homeward rush of the marquis were the ladies at cross hall and they heard it from lord george upon whom mr knox called in london supposing however when he did call that lord george had already received full information on the subject lord george's letter to lady sarah was full of dismay full of horror as he has not taken the trouble to communicate his intentions to me, I shall not go down to receive him. You will know how to deal with the matter, and will, I am sure, support our mother in this terrible trial. I think that the child should, at any rate, at first be acknowledged by you all as Lord Popenjoy. We have to regard, in the first place, the honour of the family. No remissness on his part should induce us to forget for a moment what is due to the title, the property, and the name. The letter was very long, and was full of sententious instructions such as the above, but the purport of it was to tell the ladies at Cross Hall that they must go through the first burden of receiving the Marquis without any assistance from himself. The dean heard of the reported arrival some days before the family did so. It was rumoured in Brotherton, and the rumour reached the deanery, but he thought that there was nothing he could do on the spur of the moment. He perfectly understood the condition of Lord George's mind, and perceived that it would not be expedient for him to interfere quite on the first moment. As soon as the Marquis should have settled himself in the house, of course he would call, and when the Marquis had settled himself, and when the world had begun to recognize the fact that the Marquis, with his Italian marchioness, and his little Italian, so-called Popenjoy, were living at Manor Cross, then, if he saw his way, the dean would bestir himself. And so the Marquis arrived. He reached the Brotherton station with his wife, a baby, a lady's maid, a nurse, a valet, a cook, and a courier about three o'clock in the afternoon, and the whole crowd of them were carried off in their carriages to Manor Cross. A great many of the inhabitants of Brotherton were there to see, for this coming of the Marquis had been talked of far and wide. He himself took no notice of the gathering people, was perhaps unaware that there was any gathering. He and his wife got into one carriage, the nurse, the lady's maid, and the baby into the second the valet and courier and cook into the third. The world of Brotherton saw them, and the world of Brotherton observed that the lady was very old and very ugly. Why on earth could he have married such a woman as that, and then have brought her home? That was the exclamation which was made by Brotherton in general. 
It was soon ascertained by every one about Manor Cross that the Marchioness could not speak a word of English, nor could any of the newly imported servants do so, with the exception of the courier, who was supposed to understand all languages. There was, therefore, an absolutely divided household. It had been thought better that the old family housekeeper, Mrs. Toff, should remain in possession. Through a long life she had been devoted to the old marchioness and to the ladies of the family generally, but she would have been useless at their new home, and there was an idea that Manor Cross could not be maintained without her. It might also be expedient to have a friend in the enemy's camp. Other English servants had been provided, a butler, two footmen, a coachman, and the necessary housemaids and kitchen-maids. It had been stated that the Marquis would bring his own cook. There were, therefore, at once two parties, at the head of one of which was Mrs. Toff, and at the head of the other the courier, who remained, none of the English people knew why. For the first three days the Marchioness showed herself to no one. It was understood that the fatigues of the journey had oppressed her, and that she chose to confine herself to two or three upstairs rooms which had been prepared for her. Mrs. Toff, strictly obeying orders which had come from Cross Hall, sent up her duty, and begged to know whether she should wait upon Milady. Milady sent down word that she didn't want to see Mrs. Toff. These messages had to be filtered through the courier, who was specially odious to Mrs. Toff. His lordship was almost as closely secluded as her ladyship. He did, indeed, go out to the stables, wrapped in furs, and found fault with everything he saw there, and he had himself driven around the park. But he did not get up on any of these days till noon, and took all his meals by himself. The English servants averred that during the whole of this time he never once saw the marchioness or the baby. But then the English servants could not very well have known what he saw or what he did not see. But this was very certain, that during those three days he did not go to Cross Hall, or see any one of his own family. Mrs. Toff, in the gloaming of the evening, on the third day, hurried across the park to see the young ladies, as she still called them. Mrs. Toff thought that it was all very dreadful. She didn't know what was being done in those apartments. She had never set her eyes upon the baby. She didn't feel sure that there was any baby at all, though John, John was one of the English servants, had seen a bundle come into the house. Wouldn't it be natural and right that any real child should be carried out to take the air? And then all manner of messes were, said Mrs. Toff, prepared up in the closed room. Mrs. Toff didn't believe in anything except that everything was going to perdition. The Marchioness was intent on asking after the health and the appearance of her son, but Mrs. Toff declared that she hadn't been allowed to catch a sight of my lord. Mrs. Toff's account was altogether very lachrymose. She spoke of the Marquis, of course, with the utmost respect, but she was sufficiently intimate with the ladies to treat the baby and its mother with all the scorn of an upturned nose. Nor was the name of Popenjoy once heard from her lips. But what were the ladies to do? On the evening of the third day Lady Sarah wrote to her brother George, begging him to come down to them. The matter was so serious that he was, said Lady Sarah, bound to lend the strength of his presence to his mother and sisters. 
but on the fourth morning lady sarah sent over a note to her brother the marquis dear brotherton we hope that you and your wife and little boy have arrived well and have found things comfortable mamma is most anxious to see you as of course we all are will you not come over to us to-day i dare say my sister-in-law may be too fatigued to come out as yet i need not tell you that we are very anxious to see your little popenjoy your affectionate sister sarah germain it may be seen from this that the ladies contemplated peace if peace were possible but in truth the nature of the letter though not the words had been dictated by the marchioness she was intent upon seeing her son and anxious to acknowledge her grandchild lady sarah had felt her position to be very difficult but had perceived that no temporary acceptance by them of the child would at all injure her brother george's claim should george set up a claim and so in deference to the old lady the peaceful letter was sent off with directions to the messenger to wait for an answer the messenger came back with tidings that his lordship was in bed then there was another consultation the marquis though in bed had of course read the letter had he felt at all as a son and a brother ought to feel he would have sent some reply to such a message it must be they felt that he intended to live there and utterly ignore his mother and sisters what should they do then how should they be able to live the marchioness surrendered herself to a paroxysm of weeping bitterly blaming those who had not allowed her to go away and hide herself in some distant obscurity her son her eldest son had cast her off because she had disobeyed his orders his orders said lady sarah in scorn almost in wrath against her mother what right has he to give orders either to you or to us he has forgotten himself and is only worthy to be forgotten just as she spoke the manor cross phaeton with the manor cross ponies was driven up to the door and lady amelia who went to the window declared that brotherton himself was in the carriage oh my son my darling son said the marchioness throwing up her arms it really was the marquis it seemed to the ladies to be a very long time indeed before he got into the room so leisurely was he in divesting himself of his furs and comforters during this time the marchioness would have rushed into the hall had not lady sarah prevented her the old lady was quite overcome with emotion and prepared to lay at the feet of her eldest son if he would only extend to her the slightest sign of affection so here you all are he said as he entered the room it isn't much of a house for you but you would have it so he was of course forced to kiss his mother but the kiss was not very fervent in its nature to each of his sisters he merely extended his hand this Amelia received with empressement, for, after all, severe though he was, nevertheless he was the head of the family. Susanna measured the pressure which he gave, and returned back to him the exact weight. Lady Sarah made a little speech. "'We are very glad to see you, Brotherton. You have been away a long time.' "'A deuced long time.' "'I hope your wife is well, and the little boy.' when will she wish that we should go and see her the marchioness during this time had got possession of his left hand and from her seat was gazing up into his face he was a very handsome man 
but pale, worn, thin, and apparently unhealthy. He was very like Lord George, but smaller in feature, and wanting full four inches of his brother's height. Lord George's hair was already becoming grey at the sides. That of the Marquis, who was ten years older, was perfectly black. But his lordship's valet had probably more to do with that than nature. He wore an exquisite moustache, but in other respects was close-shaven. He was dressed with great care, and had fur even on the collar of his frock-coat, so much did he fear the inclemency of his native climate. "'She doesn't speak a word of English, you know,' he said, answering his sister's question. "'We might manage to get on in French,' said Lady Sarah. "'She doesn't speak a word of French either. She never was out of Italy till now. You had better not trouble yourselves about her.' This was dreadful to them all. It was monstrous to them that there should be a marchioness of Brotherton, a sister-in-law, living close to them, whom they were to acknowledge to be the reigning marchioness, and that they should not be allowed to see her. It was not that they anticipated pleasure from her acquaintance. It was not that they were anxious to welcome such a new relation. This marriage, if it were a marriage, was a terrible blow to them. It would have been infinitely better for them all that, having such a wife, he should have kept her in Italy. But, as she was here in England, and as she was to be acknowledged as far as they knew at present, it was a fearful thing that she should be living close to them and not be seen by them. For some moments after this last announcement they were stricken dumb. He was standing with his back to the fire, looking at his boots. The Marchioness was the first to speak. "'We may see Popenjoy,' she exclaimed through her sobs. I suppose he can be brought down, if you care about it. Of course we care about it, said Lady Amelia. They tell me he is not strong, and I don't suppose they'll let him come out in such weather as this. You'll have to wait. I don't think anybody ought to stir out in this weather. It doesn't suit me, I know. Such an abominable place as it is I never saw in my life. There is not a room in the house that is not enough to make a man blow his brains out. Lady Sarah could not stand this, nor did she think it right to put up with the insolence of his manner generally. If so, she said, it is a pity that you came away from Italy. He turned sharply round, and looked at her for an instant before he answered, and as he did so she remembered the peculiar tyranny of his eyes, the tyranny to which, when a boy, he had ever endeavoured to make her subject, and all others around him. Others had become subject because he was the Lord Popenjoy of the day, and would be the future Marquis. But she, though recognizing his right to be first in everything, had ever rebelled against his usurpation of unauthorized power. He too remembered all this, and almost snarled at her with his eyes. "'I suppose I might stay if I liked, or come back if I liked, without asking you,' he said. "'Certainly.' but you are the same as ever you were. Oh, Brotherton, said the Marchioness, do not quarrel with us directly you have come back. You may be quite sure, mother, that I shall not take the trouble to quarrel with any one. It takes two for that work. If I wanted to quarrel with her or you, I have cause enough. I know of none, said Lady Sarah. I explained to you my wishes about this house, and you disregarded them altogether. The old lady looked up at her eldest daughter, as though to say, There, that was your sin. I knew what was better for you and better for me, 
it is impossible that there should be pleasant intercourse between you and my wife and i recommended you to go elsewhere if you had done so i would have taken care that you were comfortable again the marchioness looked at lady sarah with bitter reproaches in her eyes what interest in life would we have had in a distant home said lady sarah why not you as well as other people because unlike other people we have become devoted to one spot the property belongs to you i hope so but the obligations of the property have been at any rate as near to us as to you society i suppose may be found in a new place but we do not care much for society then it would have been so much the easier but it would have been impossible for us to find new duties nonsense said the marquis humbug d blank trash if you cannot speak otherwise than like that before your mother brotherton i think you had better leave her said lady sarah bravely sarah don't sarah don't said the marchioness it is trash and nonsense and humbug i told you that you were better away and you determined to stay i knew what was best for you but you chose to be obstinate i have not the slightest doubt as to who did it we were all of the same mind said lady susanna alice said it would be quite cruel that mamma should be moved alice was now the wife of canon holdenough it would have been very bad for us all to go away said lady amelia george was altogether against it said lady susanna and the dean said lady amelia indiscreetly the dean exclaimed the marquis do you mean to say that that stable-boy has been consulted about my affairs i should have thought that not one of you would have spoken to george after he had disgraced himself by such a marriage there was no need to consult any one said lady sarah and we do not think that george's marriage was at all disgraceful mary is a very nice person said the marchioness i dare say whether she is nice or not is very little to me she has got some fortune and i suppose that was what he wanted as you are all of you fixed here now and seem to have spent a lot of money i suppose you will have to remain you have turned my tenant out mr price was quite willing to go said lady susanna i dare say i trust he may be as willing to give up the land when his lease is out i have been told that he is a sporting friend of the dean's it seems to me that you have all of you got into a nice mess here by yourselves all i want you to understand is that i cannot now trouble myself about you you don't mean to give us up said the afflicted mother you'll come and see me sometimes won't you certainly not if i am to be insulted by my sister i've insulted no one said lady sarah haughtily it was no insult to tell me that i ought to have stayed in italy and not to have come to my own house sarah you ought not to have said that exclaimed the marchioness he complained that everything here was uncomfortable and therefore i said it he knows that i did not speak of his return in any other sense since he settled himself abroad there has not been a day in which i have not wished that he would come back to his own house and his own duties if he will treat us properly no one will treat him with higher consideration than i but we have our rights as well as he and are as well able to guard them sarah can preach as well as ever he said oh my children oh my children sobbed the old lady i have had about enough of this i knew what it would be when you wrote to me to come to you then he took up his hat as though he were going and am i to see nothing more of you asked his mother 
I will come to you, mother, once a week, if you wish it. Every Sunday afternoon will be as good a time as any other. But I will not come unless I am assured of the absence of Lady Sarah. I will not subject myself to her insolence, nor put myself in the way of being annoyed by a bally-ragging quarrel. I and my sisters are always at church on Sunday afternoon, said Lady Sarah. In this way the matter was arranged, and then the Marquis took himself off. For some time after he left the room the Marchioness sat in silence, sobbing now and again, and then burying her face in her handkerchief. "'I wish we had gone away when he told us,' she said at last. "'No, mamma,' said her eldest daughter, "'no, certainly no. Even though all of this is very miserable, it is not so bad as running away in order that we might be out of his way.' no good can ever be got by yielding in what is wrong to any one this is your house and as yours it is ours oh yes and here we can do something to justify our lives we have a work appointed to us which we are able to perform what will his wife do for the people here why are we not to say our prayers in the church which we all know and love why are we to leave alice and mary why should he because he is the eldest of us he who for so many years has deserted the place why is he to tell us where to live and where not to live he is rich and we are poor but we have never been pensioners on his bounty the park i suppose is now closed to us but i am prepared to live here in defiance of him this she said walking up and down the room as she spoke and she said it with so much energy that she absolutely carried her sisters with her and again partly convinced her mother. End of chapter 21